BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, April 14th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes the great legal and political powerhouse, Anthony Jackson. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. Hey, uh, Ben Jarofsky's got a new column. You might want to check it out over there at ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. I'll spell that out for you. It's J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this No Brandon, No Thursday, and here's why. An election is not even 10 days. <laughs> 10 days old, is it? I've lost track of time. 10 days old, and folks in Chicago are trying to change things to make sure it never happens again. Alderman Gil Vegas. Uh, shout out, first of all, Justin Lawrence Crane, Chicago Business, broke this story. Woke up to discover it. Uh, Alderman Gil Viegas of, what is it, the uh, 36th Ward on the northwest side of Chicago. It was opposed by a candidate supported by the Chicago Teachers Union. So he says, all right, I'll get back at you. Uh, and it's uh, announced that he's going to introduce legislation that I'm pretty sure will go nowhere uh, in the Chicago City Council that would limit uh, contributions that uh, unions can make uh, to municipal candidates to, I think it's $1,500. So essentially, that is a, uh, a a way to uh, take away all power from the Chicago Teachers Union, because this comes in the wake of the Chicago Teachers Union's stunning success last week uh, when their candidate, the man who used to work for the Chicago Teachers Union, the man who got a start at the Chicago Teachers Union, the man who was uh, plucked from his role as a school teacher by Karen Lewis was elected mayor of the city of Chicago. I still can't believe it, Brandon Johnson. So the teachers union spent about over $2 million on his campaign. Without their money, he could not have uh, emerged from the, um, the runoff, the, the, excuse me, round one. There's no way, absolutely no way he would have emerged uh, from round one. So their funding was key. And the funding of the national uh, organization, American Federation of Teachers, was also key. So if you take away that funding power, it's through. You've cut off the Chicago Teachers Union at their knees. I just got to point this out, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think this will go anywhere in the Chicago City Council. And furthermore, uh, uh, it'll probably be challenged if it were to be passed. I don't even know how it's constitutional, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, the U.S. Supreme Court says corporations uh, are human beings. And they have the right to give unlimited amounts of money. That was the, the prevailing ruling by the, uh, the Supreme Court regarding funding of campaigns. Clarence Thomas himself is sort of arguing at the moment that he need not reveal who gives him trips 
on private planes and private yachts to fancy resorts because that person has a constitutional right uh, to donate money or uh, support a Supreme Court justice if he wants and does not need to be named. That's that's the law of the land right now. And so now here in Chicago, you want to cut off a union? Well, corporations have the power to give as much as they want. Wealthy people have the power to give as much as they want. Kenny G, if he wants right now, Ken Griffin can put, I don't know, $50,000 in the campaigns of any alderman in the city of Chicago. Are you going to cut him off? He gave $50 million. $50 million in the last go-around. Uh, for his candidate who was uh, defeated, Richard Irvin. Probably the only man in the state of Illinois who remembers this, Richard Irvin's name. A distinguished guest may remember Richard Irvin's name uh, from Aurora. So he is free to spend as much as he wants, but the teachers' union is not. In my humble opinion, this always happens when the black community speaks loud and determines the future of Chicago politics. Make no mistake, folks, we've been saying on this show for over a week, Brandon Johnson's victory is a result of black political power. 80% of the black vote went for Brandon Johnson, at least 80%. That was the rock-solid support he needed to edge out Paul Vallis. That's scary to people in the city of Chicago. Whenever black people flex their political muscle, people in Chicago get scared. In 1983, before my distinguished guest was even born, Harold Washington, <laughs> Harold Washington was elected mayor of the city of Chicago. And in those days, we had a uh, partisan setup. So there would be two rounds. First round, Democratic primary and a Republican primary. The winners of those two met off in a general election. Harold Washington was victorious in the primary, defeated Jane Byrne, the incumbent mayor, and Richie Daly, Cook County State's attorney. And as a result, he went off to fight uh, Bernie Epton, a state rep from Hyde Park that nobody had ever heard of and had absolutely no chance under, if a white person had been nominated. Uh, but because it was a black man, it was one of the closest elections in the history of Chicago politics. I think it was the closest election, very heated election. You remember uh, Epton before it's too late was his slogan. Uh, and in, in the aftermath of that, the powers that be, Democratic Party chieftains convinced Republican legislators in uh, Springfield to change our system from that partisan system to what we now have, a nonpartisan system. And their theory, which they really didn't state openly, except for a few of them, <laughs> The few honest ones was that this would prevent another Harold Washington because there's no way, in their opinion, that on a one-on-one -on -one race, a black Democrat could beat a white Democrat. And now here we are, how many years later? 30-something years later? Same thing, is, same thing is happening. Change the rules. Change the rules. Whenever there's a significant display of black political power in the city of Chicago, there's a move to change the rules. When black people win the game by playing by the rules, they try to change the rules so that they never win the game again. Like I said, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, 
but I'll tell you what, man, it's a shame, shame, shame in the city that they keep trying to do this. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest who's patiently been sitting uh, through uh, my oration there. It's the first time uh, on my show, but it's not a first time for me to have political discussions with this young man. I've been talking politics with Anthony Jackson probably since his teenage years. The kid is a prodigy. He's unbelievable at a very, very early age. Uh, well, I got to tell a little story here, Anthony. You're probably going to be irritated that I tell this story, but I don't really care. Uh, Anthony, I've known this this young man since he was in third grade. Okay, third grade, I've known him, and I know his parents really well. Uh, and there was a time, I think, uh, in high school that his mom and I were watching Anthony work his way uh, through Von Steuben High School. And uh, this is right around the time that Barack Obama got the nomination. And we both predicted that one day he would be the next Barack Obama. I don't know that he's going to work out. Uh, but uh, Anthony Jackson is a lawyer, uh, a very proud graduate of DePaul uh, University. He's worked at least three levels of government, and he recently served as deputy campaign manager to Jonathan Jackson. Yes, that Jonathan Jackson, uh, congressman from the first congressional dis district, who, of course, replaced Bobby Rush in Congress. Uh, his knowledge of Chicago politics is second to none, in my humble opinion, uh, at least uh, local, recent Chicago politics. I don't know if he knows the old stuff like I do, but he's... Uh, uh, he's pretty damn good. He's also uh, one of the finest quarterbacks in the history of Franklin Elementary School. He was my quarterback and a team I co coached. And Anthony, let me see if you can answer this trivia question. There's one other Politico who was on that team, and he was your running back when you were the quarterback. Name that Politico. His name is William Billy Drew. Yes. <laughs> If you got that wrong, I would have said, man, you got dementia early. <laughs> wow, that's my dude. <laughs> Billy was my guy. Thank you for that uh, that warm introduction, Ben. I appreciate that. I don't know if anyone other than my mother has spoke so highly of me. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, all right. Uh, no, your mom and I, shout out Michelle, I uh, had that conversation many times. We got such a kick out of watching you rise through the ranks. Uh, all right, Anthony. If it's going to be uh, anybody, it's going to be Brandon Johnson before it's me. The next Barack uh, Obama. The next Barack Obama? <laughs> well, that's interesting. There's a lot of difference between Brandon Johnson uh, and Barack. First of all, there's only one Barack Obama. Let's just make just that Just like clear. there's only one Harold Washington. Yes. Yes. Now, all the millennials uh, tell me that because I would be lamenting. Uh, for many years, uh, Anthony, how I miss Harold Washington. It's not the same since he's gone. And they would go, oh, you know, Ben, Harold Washington is not walking through that door anytime soon. Never. We have to deal with the world that exists uh, right now. Uh, your thoughts before I move on uh, to the recent election about what I just said. Every time there's an expression of black political power, the powers that be try to change the rules so we never have it again. Do you agree or disagree with me on that? I agree with that, and I think that there is compelling evidence to uh, exhibit that, to back that. You provided some of it. Um, you know, what I will say is that I think that uh, Brandon Johnson is a coalition builder, um, and any individual in the city council or an elected office in this state should be trying to uh, get with him to figure out how to build consensus, consensus and move our city forward. Um, this effort by Alderman Villegas, uh, who I like, um, it, 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 won't, it likely won't go far. 
yeah, I don't think it'll go anywhere. Uh, all right, uh, but it does it, symbolically. It's it's significant, I think, because it just uh, if nothing else, it irritates the hell out of me. All right, um, let's start with the recent uh, mayoral election. Still, still uh, dissecting it. Still trying to figure out uh, what it means. Uh, and uh, so, what are your, sort of your three top takeaways from this election? That's a great question, Dan. I, I, I think number one is that this is proof yet again that black candidates who are credentialed, relatable, and sophisticated can win major, major elections if given the required financial support. If you observe uh, Mayor-elect Johnson's campaign, what you saw is that he never ran out of steam. The commercials kept coming. The earned media was consistent. The field was unrelenting. um, And there was a rhythm to the messaging that sort of rose to a crescendo uh, with the most propitious timing. I don't want to take anything, I certainly could never take anything away from the volunteers on the campaign, uh, the political minds that participated, uh, the coalitions that were built. But a lot of those things were largely, uh, they were able to be put in place because of the resources he had. Uh, my second takeaway, I would say, is that the Johnson campaign won this on the ground with what I would deem to be the best field organizers in America. Uh, the United Working Families, uh, who one of my classmates, Ryan Kelleher, is very much involved in, one of the leaders there, shout out to Ryan, uh, the CTU and the SCIU. Uh, there are no better organizers in the, in the United States of America. And I think this is proof that while technology has become an integral part of campaigning, politics in Chicago and places like Chicago is still very much played out in the field through hand-to-hand combat. Uh, my third observation is that Uh, While there has been a major shift in Chicago's population in the last three decades, most noticeably a decline in the black residency uh, and a surge or uptick in Latinos, the last two mayoral races are proof positive that black people aren't done in Chicago yet. Uh, Let's let's take a a deeper dive into that last uh, point. Black people aren't done in Chicago yet. What do you mean by that? Well, what I I mean is... uh, you know, there's this narrative that uh, black people have left Chicago. Um, violence is concentrated in black neighborhoods. Uh, and this is not a viable place for us to exist anymore. You've seen that certainly throughout the last decade. Um, but when you look at uh, people like Angela Clay uh, winning in the 46th Ward, a black woman, an organizer, uh, in, a, in a community that I once lived in, uptown. Um, when you look at, you know, Brandon Johnson and his election and what he did, even in those, even in those, what we like to call uh, lakefront liberal wards, which I think most people would glean from that, that they're white wards, when in fact they are far more diverse than uh, most people know. You see Brandon Johnson just killing it in the black precincts there. Um, and as you uh, alluded to in, in, in your riff, he got 80% of the black vote. When you look at the last election, even in the runoff, you had two black women. You know, one of them a, a former prosecutor, right? In, in, in the black community, we look at them in a similar light or vein that we do police officers, right? Generally, there is a contentious sort of relationship there. Um, and you, you, she's LGBT, she's a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, and, she, and she won handily, won, uh, all of the all of the black wards. So I think that uh, black people still have a lot of hope. 
we are still very much involved in the political process. And I believe that uh, Mayor Johnson is going to uh, perform with that in mind. Uh, Anthony, there is a uh, uh, sort of like a, a theme from 83 with Harold Washington uh, that will exist very uh, prevalent among older people who remember this and it's being passed on. Uh, and that is uh, before the debates and the first go around with uh, the, the Harold Washington had with Jane Byrne and Richie Daly, uh, he, his support in the black community was not rock solid. But after those debates, after he mopped the floor uh, with Byrne and Daly and proved, established that he was by far um, the most qualified candidate, this is me speaking my humble opinion, uh, black support just boomed. He ended up with over 80% in the first round. What was, in your opinion, the similar uh, moment for Brandon Johnson? Because when this campaign began, he was largely unknown to most ordinary Chicago. You and I know him because we're political junkies, but uh, most ordinary Chicagoans were not aware of Brandon Johnson. So what and when was the sort of the tipping point when uh, black voters uh, decided Brandon was going to be their candidate? Well, I think once they got to know him through the debates, um, and as I stated in my first uh, takeaway, you know, Brandon is uh, credentialed. He is very relatable. He has a beautiful family. Uh, he lives in Austin, right? He, he has not uh, ran away from the problems that plague our community. He has positioned himself uh, smack dab in the middle of it. He is a organizer uh, and he's sophisticated. And as I said, you know, when black candidates like that are uh, given the required financial support, they have the capacity, the ability to get their message out, to show people who they are, um, and compel them to support them. And so I think every single debate that went by, uh, that we had Brandon's support in the Black community and in other diverse communities, um, including the white community, it grew. Uh, and I think that Paul Dallas kind of peaked in, in the general election, which was the first round in Chicago, we call in our municipal elections, the, the runoff is the, um, it's a runoff in the first, the first round It's a municipal election. The first round is a general election. And so I think Vallis kind of peaked there. Uh, there may have been a little bit of arrogance on the behalf of his campaign, given how successful he was in, in the first round, getting over 30% of the vote. Um, and Brandon just kept pounding away. As I told you, the commercials kept coming. Uh, the earned media kept coming. Even when you saw Brandon kind of uh, maybe 10 days out, 10 to 14 days out, people got a little bit worried in his camp. Then comes Ayanna Presley, Congresswoman. Uh, here comes Bernie Sanders. The earned media just never stopped. And as I said previously, the field was unrelenting uh, and it was incredibly organized. The data they were collecting was spot on and, and that led to the win. You uh you've mentioned a couple times the field uh organization uh, organization and yes shout out Ryan Kelleher at about I think it was about uh halfway through the runoff somebody sent me uh, one lefty friend of mine texted me a uh, flyer where Vallis was asking uh, for people to come work for him to do door to door and I believe he was paying twenty five dollars an hour something like that don't quote me. Uh, but it was like, hmm, not bad change, you know, uh, to go door to door. Brandon wasn't paying people to go door to door. They were signing up to go to door to door. 
Uh, it, clearly, the left uh, believes in a message so much that they will give up their time and go door to door. Will you ever have a moment like that, you believe, for like centrist Democrats in the city of Chicago that they were actively, act, actually get out without being paid and knock on doors uh, for their candidate? You know, I, I think it is possible. And I think that uh, it would be a probably be a sophisticated and, and credentialed and well-funded black or Latino candidate. Um, but it, it, in saying that, I, I'll also offer that I think that the progressive movement has uh, left the train station um, for a while. It felt like uh, taking, the, taking the Amtrak from Chicago to Springfield. Delay after delay. Okay, we 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 got out of the station, but we haven't even hit 35th Street yet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and and I think with Brandon uh, in this win, um, it, it, it kind of catapults the movement. And as you can already see, uh, there is significant power in this movement. Just this week, uh, we were awarded the DNC. Uh, when you look at Stacey Davis Gates. Um, who is the president of the Chicago Teachers Union and one of the vice presidents of uh, the American Federation of Teachers and the power, the immense power that she now has. I mean, you're talking about a person who was already incredibly dynamic, um, who had been in the fight in a major way, nationally renowned figure, uh, who I perceive will be at the table um, in this next election, working with Joe Biden and in, in any election thereafter, picking the president for the Democrats. Uh, Stacey, um, Stacey has gained um, a, a, level of, a level of prominence and power that uh, few black women in public service and in the union space especially uh, ha have, have been able to reach. You know, uh, it's funny that you mentioned Stacey uh, Davis-Gates. Uh, for what it's worth, ladies and gentlemen, the first person who told me about Stacey Davis Gates was Anthony Jackson. I don't know if you remember that, Anthony. It was many years ago. You were probably a teenager, and uh, you were working uh, in Springfield for uh, Representative uh, uh, Ken Duncan. And you go, there's this, you got to meet Stacey Davis Gates. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you said she's the new uh, political lobbyist for the Chicago Teachers Union. you got to meet Stacey Davis Gates. So, okay, okay. Uh, and then Karen Lewis told me about her. About, oh, my God, I love this. You got And she told me, you got to meet Stacey Davis Gates. And so everybody knows I'm a big Stacey Davis Gates fan. Um, I mean, how about Karen Lewis, by the way? You know, is she in heaven just completely elated or what? You know, her, her girl is the president of the union. Brandon Johnson, a teacher and an organizer for her union, is the mayor of Chicago. And Tony Preckwinkle was uh, soundly behind them. The county and the, and, and the city are unified uh, in a way that we haven't seen in decades. And, and I think that will play a tremendous role in how this movement spreads across the state and ultimately across the United States. All right. So that's a perfect lead into this question. Uh, so many people of, I call them centrists in the Democrats, uh, and definitely so many Republicans have tried to turn the Chicago Teachers Union uh, into uh, uh, the villain. And Paul Vallis openly ran against the Chicago Teachers Union. Paul Vallis openly vowed uh, to create more charter schools, which would be non-union schools. So effectively, he would be... Uh, 
I don't know if destroy is the right word, but really hurting the Chicago Teachers Union, just like Rahm Emanuel threatened to do the same uh, thing. In your opinion, is there a split between how sort of like uh, the the right and the center views the Chicago Teachers Union and how people in the city of Chicago view it? Well, you know, look, I think you have centrist uh, aldermen uh, in their constituencies who are constituents rather, who are very open-minded, who have worked with the Chicago Teachers Union, who will continue to moving forward. Um, do they always agree with them? No. And what you'll find is with a lot of those aldermen, they are frequently aligned with mayors. And the mayor and the teachers union are positioned in such a way that they're basically uh, always going to be adversaries unless you get a Brandon Johnson. And look, I don't think that the Chicago Teachers Union is going to get everything that they want with Brandon Johnson. Uh, and so, you know, we, we know some of these aldermen. We know that they have been with CTU at times and others they haven't. Um, I don't think that their view of the CTU is the same as right wing or individuals or Republicans. You know, and, you know I think that those aldermen are more so the centrists are deal makers. They come from a certain era of politics. And when it comes to the, when it came to this election, they were very comfortable with Vallis. They knew what he was about. They work with him under daily. He does keep his word from every alderman I've talked to said he's a man of his word. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Uh, and they were looking to position themselves uh to 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 have to have a strong you know a strong footing in the next administration to do what they need to do for their constituency so and i'll say this man i think uh elections have consequences right we we know that but i, I see brandon as a consensus builder um and, and look we we haven't been in this uh position often but look at lori lightfoot Right. She was running against the chairman of the Democratic Party of Cook County. All the regular Democrats were with Tony and with Tony Preckwinkle, who's also the president of the Cook County uh, Board of Commissioners. And Lori, Lori Lightfoot won that, that election handily. And Walter Burnett, although the 27 Ward, still got a pretty solid committee. Michelle Harris was able to retain the Rules Committee. You know, so I don't know if that's going to be the case with Brandon. But I don't think I don't perceive him to be a sore winner. I don't think that he's just going to throw uh, everybody who was against him, you know, by the wayside. Will there be some consequences? Certainly. Right. That naturally comes with the with the territory. But uh, he's not coming in um, just to deal with and represent the people that voted for him or supported him. Well, uh well, that moves us uh, to council reorganization, which is a topic I wanted to talk with you. And again, I'll go back in time. Uh, some parallels, historical parallels with Harold Washington. Uh, it, not all the black aldermen supported Harold Washington in that first go around. And uh, by the end, there, every uh, black elected official in the city of Chicago was, <laughs> uh, to put it mildly, uh, solidly on the Harold Washington team because there was hell to pay uh, for any who weren't. I know uh, Robert Shaw lost his seat, former Alderman Robert Shaw, may he rest in peace, lost his seat uh, in the ninth uh, ward. And he later said, I'll never make that mistake again. And when he regained his seat, uh, <laughs> he was solidly Harold Washington. John Stroger, uh, who uh, 
younger people know as the powerhouse of the Cook County Board. He was a committeeman. He he endorsed Daly, uh, and he was out for a while. He was out as a result, but Harold let him back in, and next thing you know, one thing led to another. He's the uh, uh, the president of Cook County uh, Board. So there is uh, there is some historical precedent. Is Harold let all these black officials know who was boss? There's some of them. Uh, Anthony that he could not stand and he just <clears throat> cut him off it was personal uh, but he br- he just allowed the many to come back into the tent is what I'm saying I so mean even if you look like, like Michael Scott right you know Michael Scott was allowed to come back in after being with Daly so it, 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 I think that Brandon will take a similar approach with elected officials and operatives Michael Scott, man, I could talk for hours about Michael Scott. Yes, he was invited in, and uh, but he was one of the smoothest operators. May he rest in peace. I have ever Absolutely. met in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> he landed on his feet so many times. I remember when he was working for Daily. I go, "What are you doing here?" We're <laughs> working for Daily. Uh, so, uh, all right, let's talk council reorganization, Anthony. I was telling you before we went on the show uh, that I saw these Instagram posts. Uh, yesterday, uh, that Scott Wagspeck, 32nd Ward Alderman Scott Wagspeck, who's chairman of the Finance Committee, uh, has already invited uh, 12 of the uh, newly elected uh, alder people uh, to uh, his chambers uh, to give him a little lecture, ex- explanation of how budget process works, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, I applaud you, Scott, for doing that. I also think that was a little early, uh, you know, nothing Nothing negative here, Anthony, but uh, I think it was a little early lobbying because he's going to need their votes. On May 15th, there's going to be a crucial vote. I think it's May 15th. Sometime in May, there will be a crucial vote uh, after the new council is sworn in, after the new mayor is sworn in on uh, who will get to be the chairs in the city council. And Scott Wagespeck right now is the finance chair, and he very much wants to retain that finance chair. When the city council had its reorganization on its own about two weeks ago, uh, he, uh, Scott, Michelle Harris, Jason Irvin, and uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa put together a coalition in which Scott Wagespeck got to be the finance chair. Um, Scott did not endorse anybody in this election. So if there's anybody who's vulnerable, Anthony, this is a very prized position in the city council finance chair. I would say it would be Scott Wagespeck. What's your sense of who's going to be the finance chair uh, after the reorganization? You know, I, I, I can't say that, and I think it's difficult to predict that. Um, there were some uh, sitting members of the city council who were with uh, Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson. And the Finance Committee, as you know, is uh, the most powerful and plush committee um, in the city council. So. I, I can't put my finger on that one and pinpoint it yet, but what I will say is that it's prudent of uh, Alderman Wagenspeck to do what he's doing. Um, and this also tells me that uh, the maneuver that the city council uh, made to reorganize itself uh, is likely not going to fly with new members and, and possibly the mayor. I can't say that for certain, um, but this signals to me that uh, he's trying to shore up some votes um, and, and get people to be aligned with him. And keep him where he's at. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if other aldermen are doing uh, similar things. Do you think there's a, a chance that uh, some of the aldermen who supported Vallis uh, will get chairs that don't have them right now? I don't think it's impossible. I think when you look at an alderman like uh, 
they, they, they created a lot of new committees. There are almost 30 committees now. Uh, and they created what's called the Streets and Sanitation Committee, right? And so you have aldermen like Derek Curtis, who is a former ward superintendent, um, a real uh, rock star in that regard, too, well-renowned throughout streets and sand circles. Only guys like you and I get into those and get this type of information. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he may be a guy whose skill set is applicable to that 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 position. He may be somebody who can best handle that, right? And I think that uh, Brandon Brandon is measured enough to consider things like that. And then on the other end, he may not get it, you know. So I, I think I think the mayor is going to look at this, uh, and he's going to put people in a position where uh, they can best benefit the city of Chicago and its people. You know, uh, the other significant uh, force in Chicago that was against uh, Brandon Johnson was the corporate community. And then Anthony, it was unbelievable timing. Within a week, uh, the Dems announced they're going to have their convention here in 2024, which will be a bonanza, a potential bonanza for business in Chicago. Restauranteurs are going to do really well and bar uh, owners are going to do really well with a convention in Chicago. Uh, and um, and so all of a sudden, hotels. hotels and Airbnb, transportation Air- companies, it, 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 we're looking at, at the low end, $200 million. And, and I think uh, I may have seen something from Mayor-elect Johnson saying he, he predicts it's going to be close to $300 million. So this is going to be an incredible economic injection into the city. And I'll tell you, Ben, I'll let you finish. You know, I, I for one, as a small business owner, appreciate um, – the mayor-elect's approach to this, his mindset, and he has already sent signals to the media that uh, we are going to use this to inject money into marginalized communities. Uh, And and it's that type of forward thinking uh, that's going to move the needle for Chicagoans. Yeah, no, I, uh, I was, I was going to say that uh, the narrative that uh, had been uh, embraced uh, by corporate Chicago in supporting uh, Vallis uh, was that Chicago was on the decline. Uh, cr- it's a crime uh, rampage throughout the city. Uh, people are leaving Chicago. Uh, this is a narrative Republicans have been putting out pretty much for the last 10 years, Anthony. Uh, it's been an unsuccessful narrative, by the way, in statewide campaigns. It hasn't got Republicans elected to anything. Uh, they've lost to Page County. I don't know why they keep embracing this narrative, Anthony. I, 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 Republicans don't listen to me for advice, but I was just like to suggest maybe you guys try a different tactic because uh it isn't working uh but it's it's uh it's really a sign it was so rich that this that this very positive news would happen right after brandon johnson and then i'm reading quotes in the paper uh very similar to what you were saying from prominent business people in the city saying this is so great for chicago uh, and they're all rallying behind it. And I'm like, wait a minute. What were you just saying last week? <laughs> yeah. So in other words, you didn't believe anything you said last week? You just don't, Now you just... Uh, your thoughts, Anthony, uh, on the Republican narrative about Chicago and how it uh, its its role in politics. Well, look, I think uh, the election of Brandon Johnson is... Uh, clear that makes it clear that Chicago is in the exact opposite position. And uh, Brandon Johnson communicated to the media that he spoke to President Biden 
the day before this was announced, I think he said he came in like Mariana Rivera or some other some other baseball player or basketball player and saved the day. Um, you know, I think that there is a lot of hope in Chicago. Um, and I think that, look, let me say this about Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who, you know, a lot of people had a lot of issues with. Her Invest Southwest program uh, was starting to roll. I think that uh, a lot of black and brown businesses benefited from that. Um, those businesses hired black and brown people. In Chicago. Uh, and hopefully Brandon Johnson can take concepts like that from our previous mayor, continue to impl implement them, amplify them, expound upon them, and continue this role that we're kind of on. Uh, I, I think that Chicago is a place filled with hope, with uh, opportunity. Um, and I look forward to seeing how uh, Brandon Johnson, you know, um, utilizes that hope and provides more opportunities. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really excited, man. Honestly. Uh, by the way, uh, he, he, Brandon Johnson, uh, compared himself to Steve Kerr. Steve uh, Kerr, that's right. Yeah, because now, see, uh, I'm gonna give a little guys a little inside tip on Anthony Jackson. He wouldn't know about Steve Kerr because he was a Lakers fan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I like Kobe. Kobe. I'm a Bulls. I was always. I'm always been a Bulls fan, but Kobe was my guy. You know? Okay. Okay, if you say so, Anthony, always been a Bulls fan. Anyway, yeah, he likened himself to Steve Kerr, hitting the last shot. Uh, so I guess Precisely. Uh, he was saying that uh, Lori Lightfoot was Michael Jordan setting him up. So that was really nice of him. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts as to why Lori Lightfoot lost before we move on uh, and leave Chicago for national news? I have many thoughts on this subject, but uh, what are yours? You know, I, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Look, and I may have told you this before. And I want to be frank and candid in my analysis. I think that she came in um, and there were people who positioned themselves on the other side of her from the top, right? You got to think she is a woman, she's black, she's gay. Uh, and that is not palatable for a lot of people. Uh, and and they never gave themselves an opportunity to uh, to deal with her in a productive way. The flip side of that is, um, you know, the, that may have been the case with the mayor, uh, with certain individuals uh, coming from her side, right? She was very, what seemed to be anti-establishment, um, you know, and I think it, it became difficult for her to build consensus. And I think that's where you're gonna see a vast difference between her administration and that of Brandon Johnson's. John, Brandon is going to do whatever is necessary to build consensus. Uh, he has been known as an organizer to build coalitions. Uh, and I think he's coming in with that mindset. I don't think he's going to be a sore, loser, sore winner, rather. Um, so I think those things played a huge role uh, in, in, in Lori's political demise. Yeah, I would add, uh, I always add this, uh, uh, forced error in, uh, in sports. Uh, excuse me, unforced error is when you make a mistake. Yeah. Uh, and uh, tennis, unforced errors are crushing basketball last night. Willie Wilson. Rap uh, there you go. He, Willie Wilson. Lori Lightfoot with unforced error. No need to insult yeah. Willie Wilson the way she did. No need. She'd be the mayor yeah. today, Anthony. I agree with that. that I don't think there are very many people who would disagree with that. 
Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. How much did he, how much did uh, Wilson get in the last, in the first round? Uh, 10%, right? I think he, he got almost home? 10%. Yeah. He got the same thing he got the last election, basically. Yeah. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I know so many people who voted for him. I'm not mentioning any names because they'd be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're like, oh, Ben, just tell me who to vote for next time, all right? I'm like, I heard I go, you voted for Willie Wilson. You know he's a Republican. I don't know, Ben, just tell me who to vote for next time. Uh, all right, Anthony, you're about to go to Tennessee this weekend, I think it is. Um, Tennessee is on my mind. Uh, the Tennessee three or two. Uh, the two Justins. Uh, this is hilarious. I just have to say this. Uh, so Joan Baez, the famous uh, folk singer and protest, uh, she was on the front lines of the civil rights marches back in the 60s. Uh, and uh, she's pushing 80. And she uh, was thrilled. She met uh, Justin Jones, one of the uh, the Democratic uh, legislators that was kicked out by the Republicans. And she referred to him in her excitement. She was talking about it. Uh, the two Justins and the white lady. And I just laughed. <laughs> The white lady, God bless her. She stood in solidarity with the two Justins, uh, Representative Johnson. Uh, the two they the Republicans ousted uh, the two Justins. And they didn't uh, oust uh, Representative Johnson. Significant move, in my humble opinion, Anthony, uh, for many many reasons. We'll just get your general thoughts about Republicans uh, ousting uh, two black state reps uh, in Tennessee because uh, they didn't like uh, the, their protests on the floor. Well, who knows why they ultimately did it, but uh, that's part of the story, like figuring out why they made the move they did. Your, just th your general thoughts on, uh, on this maneuver. Yeah, well, the first thing I'll say is Representative Justin, Justin Jones from Nashville uh, has, uh, his grandparents are from Chicago. So that, that likely informs his activism in, in a major way. Wow. But, I, you know, I don't know that uh, – I think this is par for the course uh, for these type of Republicans, uh, these type of conservatives. Um, and this is just the next step in uh, their playbook of what can we do that's more extreme than our last play. Uh, you have contention of this nature all across the United States. Um, very rarely, if ever, are we seeing it being taken to this point where they attempt to do something so un-American, as was the case with the insurrection on January 6th, uh, and something so undemocratic as removing someone from office uh, who was duly elected by the members of their district who has not committed a felony uh, federal crime or uh, anything harmful to, towards the constituency or the United States of America. Um, so. I don't have very many thoughts about them. What I will say about these young brothers who, uh, whose effort is admirable, um, whose activism is on par with some of the best activism I've ever seen. Uh, these individuals are dynamic. They, like Brandon Johnson, are credentialed, uh, are great orators and uh, sophisticated. Um, and that's why they were elected and that's why they've been put back in by their colleagues. So I applaud them. I look forward. I look forward to going down on Sunday uh, and joining them in their activism uh, and, and, and being a part of the movement. That's what it's about. 
So, Anthony, do you think like Republicans um, are just so lost and so arrogant uh, that they can't change their ways? We talked just about five minutes ago, we were talking about the Republican narrative toward Chicago, which they haven't deviated from uh, in their which, state. Which, by the way, uh, Condé Nast, uh, a travel magazine, has named Chicago the best uh, big travel city in the United States like four or five times in a row. So you, you don't need my analysis to know that uh, their understanding is just upside down. Yeah, well, it's a political move. I mean, they're yeah. trying to exploit what they think uh, are attitudes that voters outside of Chicago have toward Chicago. And it, clearly, even if those voters have that attitude, for many of them, it's not the most pressing issue in the world. But they keep pushing the same button. And so now I look at uh, Tennessee it's to me representative of Republicans just plowing ahead. Like, well, the issue that that uh, drove uh, Pearson and Jones um, uh, to protest was gun control. The Republicans won't won't deviate at all on their opposition to any kind of gun control. They won't deviate at all in their opposition. Uh, to any kind of reproductive rights. There's certain things they just, they won't deviate from their support for Donald Trump. I'm like, do you guys want to lose? Is is the, is that it? I mean, the voters have shown time and time they were rejecting these positions. These are losing positions, and yet you cling to them. I can't understand the rationale for it, Anthony. Maybe you can help me on this one. You've dealt with Republicans. You were in the state house here in Illinois. You know, uh, you uh, back in the days. There are type of Republicans here, <laughs> for certain. Uh, but look, I, I'll say this: pride is a hell of a thing. Um, and in some instances, after you go so long advocating for something, it can be very difficult, even when you see. Uh, the evidence that you were wrong um, to, to to change your tune. You know, you literally have children being gunned down in schools, on the streets, in movie theaters, in some of these instances by other children, other kids. And, you know, they, they have drawn a line in the sand. It, it gets to the point where you have to wonder if, uh, and, and I mean this in the most objective way, if some of these people are dealing with psychological challenges, you know, week after week, we are seeing Americans being gunned down by each other, mass shooting after mass shooting. And yet these people have the audacity, the unmitigated gall to use their power to block reform, to save lives. Um, so, you know, there could not possibly be any, uh, acceptable rhyme or reason why why they're doing this, man. No, I, I think uh, the realm of psychology uh, is probably the, is one I hadn't considered, but I think you're right. I think they've lost their minds. Uh, and uh, so we'll sh- see how it plays out. I still think it's precarious times. I still think to the national uh, electoral map, uh, it, the last election was very close. So I just always work from the assumption that this next election will be very close as well. But I don't see the winning strategy emerging from Republicans if you are embracing uh, the nuttiness. Well, we've uh, pretty much run out of time, Anthony. Uh, before I let you go, any closing thoughts you have? Any closing remarks? Take it away. Sure. 
first of all, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on the show. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think Brandon Johnson's election uh, is a symbol of hope. And I'm excited for what's to come for Chicago. I think a lot of people who haven't been able to participate in government in Chicago and contracting in Chicago, who, who haven't been able to, even as Chicagoans experience Chicago, will now start to get those opportunities. We got the convention around the corner. Um, and, and I'm just, I am thoroughly excited for uh, what is happening here. I think everybody should be encouraged. Uh, they should be, they should feel um, empowered. Um, and I'm ready to get it cracking. Very good. All right, Anthony, thank you very much. And I know uh, uh, now that I realize you're uh, back on the, the Bulls bandwagon, uh, you'll be cheering oh, hard <laughs> when they play the Heat. When they play the Heat. Okay, I don't want to hear about you rooting for the, the Miami Heat. If I get any reports, I'm going to. You'll, probably, you'll probably be at the game in Miami. No, I, I'm not right that now. much. I'm in Cali right now. I'm, I'll be exactly. in Cali. You're a world traveler. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Me flying down to South Beach, hanging out uh, with the Bulls and watching them play. All right, go Bulls. And uh, thank you very much, Anthony go Jackson. Bulls. I also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job, as he always does. Keep yourself around. He's taking out a petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Don't forget, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. And find more from the Ben Jarofsky show all over the internet on social media and your favorite podcasting platforms.